the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you for joining us today on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Tina Smith. Tina is the manager of Caregiver Program Operations for the Caregiver SOS Program through the WellMed Charitable Foundation. She earned a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's degree in social gerontology. She's worked with seniors and caregivers for over 25 years within long-term care and with the Bayer Agency on Aging here in San Antonio. And Tina Smith, it is great to have you again as our co-host today on Caregiver SOS On Air. We're going to take up a topic that we haven't really talked about, although we've certainly talked a lot about dementia over the years, but not aphasia. Is that something you come across in your work with caregivers? You know, really, that's not something that we hear about a lot. We talk a lot about dementia in general and a lot about Alzheimer's, uh, other types of dementia. But I'm I'm really looking forward to learning uh, more about about this topic. Well, let's invite our guest, Dr. Paul Benheim, to join us. Dr. Benheim has a BA from Pomona College, where he graduated only cum laude with a major in art history. He then attended the University of Arizona College of Medicine, received his MD degree there. He trained initially in internal medicine and then completed a neurology residency and postdoctoral fellowship at the University of California in San Francisco. He is a board certified neurologist and an authority recognized nationwide on Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia. And once again, Dr. Benheim, it's great to talk with you. We had you on like a thousand years ago, so it's great to have you back. Thanks, Ron. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, to do this with the WellMed group that I think very highly of, the pioneering work they're doing in the community to promote well-being. What was it about dementia, about Alzheimer's, that got you interested in spending so much of your time and effort in that field? Well, uh, really two major factors. One, when I was a resident, I completed a neurology residency, and then I did a postdoctoral research fellowship in a disease that everybody knows as mad cow disease. The human form is called Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, and it's marked by the accumulation of an abnormal protein, an amyloid protein, and Alzheimer's disease is also marked by the accumulation of an amyloid protein, an abnormal protein that congregates and damages and eventually kills nerve cells. So I became interested in looking first at the cause of Alzheimer's and then more recently at treatment and prevention. And the other big factor is that Alzheimer's disease runs in my family. Um, Both my father and his sister died of Alzheimer's disease at advanced ages. My dad was 91. And 
the terrible truth about the dementia and specifically about Alzheimer's disease is that we're in an epidemic of it. And the reason is because of two major factors. One is age. As you age, your risk of Alzheimer's disease increases dramatically. So that 60, you have a 1% chance. But Americans over the age of 80, depending on which study you look at, at least 30%, perhaps 50% will have Alzheimer's disease. So that's been a lifelong professional quest of mine. And then most recently, uh, well, it's not that recent, it's more than 10 years, I realized that in spite of all the intensive research and finding vaccines to prevent the disease or drugs to treat the disease, there's only one true evidence-based approach to prevent the disease, and that's lifestyle. And so that was really the genesis of Brain Savers, a company that I started, and we developed what we call the Brain Plus Body Total Fitness Program. It's an evidence-based program that basically encompasses six lifestyle factors, each of which has independent evidence demonstrating it can promote healthy brain aging, overall wellness, and specifically a reduced risk of Alzheimer's and stroke-related dementia. Well, tell me more because I just celebrated my 80th birthday, so I fall into that higher risk category. So what do I need to do? Well, in looking at you, I see you on the video Zoom here, Ron. I would have guessed you're 60. So well, thank you. I would guess you have good genes. I don't know how old your parents were, but whatever you're doing, keep doing it. And this participating in this sort of intellectual activity is very beneficial. When I speak to lay groups, uh, I talk about the 20 muscles inside your skull. Because people understand that if you exercise a muscle, it'll get stronger. And that's true of your brain. Um, scientists over the last 25 years or so have now first postulated and now proven that there are two fundamental factors in the aging brain that if properly developed will promote healthy brain aging. And one is neuroplasticity. That means your brain can change its shape. We've known for many decades that's true in children's brains, but now we know that even an adult brain, 70, 80, 90 years of age, can generate new cells and connect them through synapses, the connections between the 100 billion nerve cells you have. That's a good thing. That's a very good thing. The elasticity. Let's hope it continues. Yeah. So, But to take advantage of it, you you have to mildly stress your brain. Do activities that challenge you. And the other concept that is now proven is what we call cognitive or brain reserve. Everyone virtually, even high school students, know what physical reserve is. If you do modest physical exercise, if you eat well, if you sleep, if you uh, maintain low tolerable stress levels, you have physical reserve. The key is the physical activity. People that do modest amounts of physical activity, walking at a modest pace, 30 minutes, five days a week, build physical reserve, and that dramatically reduces their risk of heart disease, stroke, and a variety of other age-related conditions. So now we're going to talk more about that in a moment, but I want to let those know who, who may have just joined us know that they are listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Tina Smith. 
And our special guest today, Dr. Paul Benheim, we're talking about dementia, Alzheimer's, and we're going to talk in a moment about aphasia as well. And Dr. Benheim is the founder of Brain Savers. We'll find out more about them too. And Dr. Benheim, uh, a lot of coverage recently about Bruce Willis, the actor, uh, apparently a diagnosis with uh, aphasia, uh, waving all HIPAA protections. He's out there. People know it. What is aphasia? And are we all at risk? Well, um, aphasia, Ron, is the loss or impairment of language function. And that generally results from damage to a specific language centers in your brain and specifically in the dominant hemisphere. So approximately 95 or even as many as 99% of us have our language functions localized in the left side of our brain, the so-called dominant hemisphere for right-handers. And even left-handers, the majority of them, even though their left arm and leg are their dominant limbs, their language function is still lateralized to that left side of the brain. So somebody with aphasia has impairment in using language, uh, and it can be global or it can be restricted. And we talk about major forms of aphasia. Broca's aphasia is also known as expressive aphasia. And that results from more anterior damage to the brain in the uh, posterior part of the frontal lobe, basically uh, above your eye and slightly behind it. And people with Broca's aphasia have difficulty expressing themselves. Uh, they can still comprehend, but they can't express what they're thinking. The other major type of aphasia is called a Wernicke's aphasia uh, or a fluent aphasia. And that results from a more posterior or back behind Broca's area, uh, basically above and behind your ear in the uh, temporal lobe. And people with Wernicke's or fluent aphasia, they can still uh, produce speech, but what comes out is basically a word salad. Each of the individual words make sense, but they don't connect in any meaningful way. People with global aphasia have both types combined. And interestingly, uh, back to Broca's aphasia, uh, it was described for the first time, as far as I'm aware, in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Uh, the 137th Psalm uh, is, how could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth, if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. So here we have a dominant hemisphere lesion producing amnesia. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, we have a right hemiparalysis, let my right hand wither. And we have the aphasia, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. So I, I wow. learned, yeah, I was, uh, I was informed of that when I was a resident and I've never forgotten it because it's so descriptive. And, you know, this is now my interpretation. Uh, 
uh, you know, the ancient Jews were in the Babylonian exile, and some of them were becoming demented for sure, old age, and so they had the forgetfulness, and then they developed the rest of it probably from a stroke. So they had the right-sided weakness, the paralysis, and the aphasia. So that's a dominant hemisphere lesion producing uh, a Broca's aphasia. Wow. Stick with us. We're going to uh, do a little business, come right back to you. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Tina Smith. We're talking with Dr. Paul Benheim. This is almost like being in a master's class. Tina, we need to take notes. This is fascinating. Thank you for joining us today, and stick with us on Caregiver SOS On Air. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello. We appreciate you sticking with us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Tina Smith, and we're talking with Paul Benheim. Dr. Benheim is the founder of Brain Savers, and we're talking about his field, his interest, devoting his life to the brain. We've been talking about aphasia and other forms of dementia. Before we leave uh, aphasia, uh, Dr. Benheim, I, I was curious because in some of the reporting about Bruce Willis, it said that while he continued to act e- even with that challenge. Uh, they would feed him lines and he could repeat them. Yes. Well, so Bruce Willis, I don't know the diagnosis. I can only assume a diagnosis. His aphasia is unusual in the sense that it's slowly progressive. Most patients that develop aphasia develop it acutely. And the leading cause is stroke. And a stroke happens immediately. Right. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, a stroke that affects the left side of the brain, specifically either the Broca's area or Wernicke's area or the connection between them, the arcuate fasciculus, can produce aphasia, that impairment of using language acutely, quickly. Bruce Willis's aphasia has developed slowly. And that makes me wonder, assume, if he doesn't have what we call primary progressive aphasia. Primary, that's the only prominent symptom. Progressive, it's progressing over time, and it's aphasia. He has difficulty expressing himself. Now, that condition is relatively rare, but it often is accompanied over time by dementia, progressive loss of other brain function, uh, such as Alzheimer's disease or other neurodegenerative. But only his physicians and time will tell if that is, in fact, the case. So aphasia, if somebody is diagnosed with aphasia or you know somebody, it's not necessarily, uh, there's not necessarily cognitive decline associated with it. No, absolutely not. Especially uh, in the Broca's aphasia, they have trouble getting the words out. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying watch, they may say spotch. Instead of saying dog, they may say gog. And depending on the underlying cause, and as I mentioned, stroke is a major cause Head trauma is another major cause. 
there are therapies available. The quicker the language function comes back, the better the prognosis. But even over years, there can be re- regaining of function. And that, again, is attributed to the neuroplasticity of the brain. Um, with work, other areas surrounding the damaged area can partially recover the language function. Now, if someone has uh, that type of aphasia, uh, do they know it? It must be terribly frustrating if they do. Oh, absolutely. Uh, especially with the Broca's aphasia. Uh, the Wernicke's form uh, is less cognitively, uh, the patients are less cognitively aware, but yeah, it's devastating because think about it. Everything we do as humans is based on communication. And if you're unable to communicate, and not only is there inability to produce speech with meaningful language, but also writing is often very well, very much affected. So there are alternative means now being developed, including electronic devices to try and help people with these severe forms of aphasia regain some ability to communicate with their fellows. Because the words may be in there, they just can't get them out? Exactly. Think of the, uh, it's like the motor system to express it is not functioning. In In the fluent aphasia, the motor function is there, but the brain is unable to join the word in a meaningful way. So that is obviously cognitive impairment. And when you take a look at, at someone's brain, obviously post-mortem who had aphasia, do you see differences? Oh, absolutely. You don't have to wait till uh, post-mortem because now with our sophisticated imaging, such as CT scans, MRI scans, you can see damage to the specific areas. And that enables a neurologist such as myself to confirm what I would suspect based on my clinical exam. And can you go in there and fix it? No. No, surgically not. But increasingly, and they're being tested as we speak, transcortical stimulation, and as I mentioned, other electronic devices to help patients with aphasia recover communication skills. So anybody who has a form of aphasia needs to be treated, needs to be evaluated by a speech-language therapist. And all major medical centers would have such a qualified individual. And how then can they have somebody begin to rewire their brain to recapture speech? Well, I'll make the analogy. Let's say you have a paralysis of your right arm by doing exercises, both fine motor exercises and gross motor exercises. You can regain function in that weak, paralyzed arm. The same thing is true of the language centers. With the proper therapy, which is endless repetition of exercises, um, there can be significant regaining of function. Now, I don't want to say there there are patients with aphasia that have no meaningful recovery. The damage uh, is so severe from the stroke or from a head trauma, bullet wound, a car accident, Mm. that they're crippled as far as communication skills for the rest of their lives. And Tina, for the caregiver who may be caring for someone uh, with aphasia, uh, the challenges must be enormous. It would be. I mean, communication uh, is so important to be able to communicate. And um, when you're not able to do that, you certainly, I would imagine, um, if there was a diagnosis of aphasia, they would have to learn 
how to communicate. Um, the person with aphasia would need to learn how to communicate uh, what their needs are. Um, but it's it, it would be a challenge. But there, it sounds like certainly it's one that can be um, addressed, and, and there's some some possible solutions or strategies that can be used to do that. And Dr. Benheim, the person with aphasia who may not be able to get the words out, can they hear? Can they understand? Can they comprehend what's being said to them? Well, again, we have to differentiate, Ron, between a Broca's, a more anterior aphasia, expressive aphasia. There, their comprehension is usually very good. The hearing is not impaired. The, pa the patients with uh, so-called fluent or Wernicke's aphasia, there the comprehension is uh, severely impaired often. I want to emphasize what, what Tina said, that, there, that the caregivers um, can use alternative ways to communicate with the patient. For instance, patients with aphasia can point to a picture of what they're trying to describe. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, there are other ways now being developed with gestures, electronic devices to enable patients to improve their communication. I know there's work recently using mobile, mobile devices like tablets uh, enable uh, patients with aphasia. And the other thing I emphasize, and again, I, my hat goes off to WellMed because of their wonderfully endowed community centers, is increasingly we see that patients with aphasia who participate in activities such as book clubs, technology groups, art, drama, you name it, that helps them. It re helps them regain their confidence and their social esteem, which leads to further improvement in their communication skills. And some cities, uh, major cities for sure, have stroke clubs. Uh, as, uh, those are support groups that can, again, help the patient with aphasia. I bet there's probably maybe hopefully just a small percentage, but I mean, a misdiagnosis of somebody that has aphasia, but there's a thought that they might have dementia instead because of the, the challenges of communication. I mean, have you seen that? Oh, yeah. That, Tina, that's another excellent point you make. A precise diagnosis has to be made because just mm -hmm. because somebody has difficulty getting the words out doesn't mean their thinking skills are not entirely okay. intact. And that's where a neurologist is key to help quarterback the situation and make sure the patient is properly diagnosed and gets referred for the proper therapy. Can you visually see a difference between someone who may have dementia, can't get words out, and someone with aphasia? Are their eyes clearer? Does their face react differently? Yeah, you know, that's a bit of the art of medicine, Ron, which is important that clearly a patient who has an expressive aphasia, you can tell that their understanding and thinking and uh, the patient with a progressive dementia like Alzheimer's disease does not have that appearance of clarity. So you're not getting any a verbal response, no reaction. Right. Yeah, the patient with a broca's aphasia, they'll try and get the words out and you'll see the frustration. Whereas a patient with moderate to severe Alzheimer's disease doesn't express frustration. That may be the, one of the important saving graces of that terrible disease. The patient's yeah, we've got about, have, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. They don't have insight. Um, other that's a, 
I, I think if patients with Alzheimer's disease had more insight into their condition, we could see a number of suicides, which we don't see in Alzheimer's disease. We see right. it in other neuro- neurodegenerative diseases. You know, I know in my dad's case, who developed Alzheimer's, uh, in the beginning, uh, he became angry because he knew he had a problem. He was, you know, highly educated. He was a pharmacist, very intelligent. Uh, he knew there was a problem. He just couldn't handle it. And then, for me, the saddest point came when it didn't matter to him. Right. You know, I say this and I feel it in my soul. This is a cruel disease. And, that, and that's why I'm so, I'm, I'm so passionate about people understanding primary prevention. Primary prevention of Alzheimer's disease, of stroke, of aphasia. How do you prevent getting this? Well, you live a brain-healthy lifestyle. And that's regular exercise, both of the brain and of the body, healthy nutrition, staying socially engaged, managing stress, and getting a good night's sleep. And those six components are what comprise a brain-healthy lifestyle. And there are no guarantees in life, just like wearing a seatbelt doesn't uh, prevent damage to your body in a car accident, but it greatly reduces your risk. So if you live a brain-healthy lifestyle and it's never too late to start, you reduce your risk of aphasia, of Alzheimer's disease, of stroke, and a number of other neurodegenerative disorders. Bingo. Not to mention you put, heart disease. You put the exclamation mark on this conversation. We're flat out of time. I thank you so much, Dr. Paul Benheim. For Tina Smith, thank you for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Executive producers for Caregiver SOS On Air are Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron. Our associate producer is Christy Romero. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll see you next week on Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com